So today, uh, I am going to work through Isaiah, and uh, I just I want you to turn there, if you would, Isaiah chapter 40, get your copy of the scriptures. You know, if, if you don't have a copy with you, just grab your phone, really, and if you just type in the Google browser, Isaiah 40, and, uh, and if you type after the NIV, then the words that we'll be talking will be very similar. So Isaiah chapter 40. And I'm going to preach to you the message, the very first message I spoke when I came here five years ago. And it, it still rings true today. And here's the title, It's Not About Us. Have you heard me say that once or twice over five years? It's not about us. It just isn't. Never has been, actually. And there's times in life when our God seems small and our problems seem big. And we've all been there together. God small, problems big, and we wonder how in the world will this ever, ever, ever work out. And I don't know what that problem is for you. You know, for some it may be a financial problem, and we look at the dollar signs, and they seem bigger than God. Like, really? For some people, it may be a relational issue, and we think this is bigger than God. For some people, that huge, gigantic problem may be a 24-inch toddler, and you're like, I can't do it. I can't do it. And or a teenager, or a struggle that you're going through like that, and we end up thinking, how in the world can this ever work out? And that's when we need to get a picture of how big God is. When we started this five years ago. The theme has been it's not about us in many ways. And today we're going to finish with this. It's all about God. He's greater than us. He's greater than our world. He's greater than our politicians. He's greater than the nations. And he's greater than our problems. Mrs. Simon asked her kindergarten class to draw a picture of something they like. And each student was very busy using every crayon in the box. And little Jason kept up the furious pace on his paper when Mrs. Simon came by and she said, Jason, what are you drawing? And uh, with a lot of confidence, he replied, I'm drawing a picture of God. Well, Mrs. Simon said, Jason, no one knows what God looks like. And Jason smiled as he continued drawing, well, they sure will when I'm done. (laughs) What does our God look like? How big is he really? So let's get a little bit personal here. Many of us remember things that maybe we've heard in stories when we were little. God's great works in the Bible, you know, opening up the earth and swallowing 23,000 complainers all at once. Just speaking the world, boom, into existence, and, and there it was. Parting the Red Sea, and his people went across on dry land. You know, the the impenetrable walls of Jericho, boom, down they went after seven laps by his people. So we look at this and we think, God, we know you were big back then. How big are you now? Well, we're just about to answer that question in Isaiah chapter 40. 
Because um, Isaiah asked this, and notice if you're in chapter 40, he, he poses a question in verse 18. Look at what he says. With whom then will you compare God? What compares? What's as big as he is? I mean, really, what do you have and I have that even comes close to measuring up? And this is obviously a rhetorical question. There's nothing. There's nothing we can compare to him in any way. And so to help us wade through this, he's going to give us some visuals And these are so significant. If we can just capture these in our mind, it's going to give us an idea. This is how big God is. So look at some of these visuals, and we're going to answer them today. It's not about us. And so he's going to answer the question, how big are God's hands? How big are God's hands? So to get this idea, would you look at a couple verses with me in Isaiah 40? Verse 12 is one of them. It says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens, who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance. Boom! Here is a sizing of God in our world. How big is he? And so how big are his hands, Isaiah asks. He's going to give us an idea. And so first he talks about the oceans in verse 12 he wants us to get an idea how big are his hands and so if you would just for a moment take your hand and kind of cup it like as if you had a little bit of water in the middle and in that little maybe quarter to half dollar divot isaiah says i I want you to imagine this his hands are so big that in that little divot is all the waters of the earth. Now, I know we're sitting here and and you look extremely impressed right now. Wow. You ever think about how much water is on the earth? I've done a little bit of work on this. There are, in order to understand this, we need to get an idea of the cubic mile. The cubic mile. So so imagine we pull out a church here. And we take a right-hand turn onto Hammond, and we drive down to all of our favorite store, Roy's Hardware. Okay, a little commercial there. That is one mile from four mile to three mile. So a cubic mile is a mile wide, mile deep, mile high. And you just imagine this big square that's a mile in every angle of that square. A cubic mile. Here's what is believed that the oceans of the world amount to approximately 912 and 500, 912,500 cubic miles filled with water. Okay, and now you're looking down here. And the writer of Isaiah says, that's that's the oceans of the world in god's hands here's another measure of god's hand um do this it doesn't mean you're hanging loose in hawaii um here's the reality of this he says i i have another measurement the tip of his thumb to the tip of his finger spans the heavens he says in verse 12 just imagine that sizing up the spans of the heaven 
I want to give you an idea of this. Our world sphere is 25,326 miles around. But Isaiah isn't talking about our earth or the distance to the sun. Let's see if you learned something in school. Uh, How far it is from the earth to the sun. How many miles is that? Okay, some of you need to go back to school. 93 million miles from the earth to the sun. And, and here's, here's the reality of it. Like, we can't even imagine how far. That's the closest star. And then the size of our galaxy and the size of the universe, which we're going to see a little bit later, and God says, yep, there we go. There we go with his thumb and pinky finger. There they are right there. So we see the oceans here. We see the entire heavens and the universe right here for him. And then he mentions the largest mountains in verse 12, the large, who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, in a little container. Some of us say, I can't even hold the dust of my house in a little container. But the dust of the earth in a container, or weighed the mountains on the scales, imagine scales, and God between his fingers takes the biggest mountains, the Himalayas, the Appalachians, and he takes them with his fingers and boink, he puts them on a scale. That's the size of God's hand. That's the amount of his greatness. Now we're beginning to size him up and we realize he's huge. He mentions in verse 15, the writer declares, the nations of the world are drops in a bucket. We think they're gigantic. For God, they're a drip of water. Boop. Islands like fine dust. It's just hard to begin to grasp the greatness of God. And folks, we have just begun to look at one feature, his hand. And we see how great he is. I want to size up one other thing here. The writer mentions, and he asks the question, how big is God's house? So the heavens are now the discussion point of Isaiah. He walks away from the mountains, and he says, let's just think about where God lives. Like, how big is his house? It's what we call the universe. And let's just try to wrap our minds around the expanse that Isaiah is speaking about. So then look down in verse 22. Verse 21 and 22, he says this. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Hasn't been told you from the beginning? Haven't you understood since the earth was founded? God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. So this is the first scripture and understands the earth is a sphere. So forget about people that say Christians believe in flat stuff and The Bible mentions earth as a sphere. So he says he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. His people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy. And he spreads them out like a tent to live in. So let's just think about this. The heavens of the earth are used in verse 22. It's the same word as Genesis 1.1. Remember Genesis 1.1, maybe. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Same word. All the universe as is. So the distance between the earth and the sun is 93 million miles. Crazy. Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. Did you capture that? That's faster than you can drive in Canada, people. 186,000 miles per second. It takes light from the sun our closest star 
traveling at 186 miles per, per second, about 8 minutes and 21 seconds to reach the earth. 8 minutes, 21 seconds at 186,000 miles per second. That's how far away the sun is. I want, I, want to, I want to get some thoughts in our head. I've got four pieces of paper. Let's just say that the thickness of one piece of paper, the thickness, is equal to the distance from the earth to the sun, 93 million miles. So you're looking at that width right there, 93 million miles. So if we do the math right, two sheets, 186,000 miles. Three sheets, 279 million miles. Four sheets, 372 million miles. So my message today measures up to 372 million miles. I hope you appreciate my message more understanding that. So I just want to I just want to get an idea here. We know it's I don't know, can you still follow me when I go down here? Um, we know it is 93 million miles to the sun. How far is it to the next star beyond the sun? We want to measure God's house, like Isaiah said. So to the next sun, I'm going to put these on the floor, and um, each sheet representing 93 million miles, the distance to the nearest star, is a stack of papers 71 feet high to the next star. I believe our roof here is close to 50 feet. Okay. So imagine a stack of papers. I have four. Through the roof and another 21 feet on the other side of the roof. That is the distance to the next star past the sun with each sheet of paper representing 93 million miles. That's in incredible. And that's just to the next star. Now if we want to go ahead and understand the Milky Way galaxy from end to end, to end it represents a stack of papers, 300, this is just our galaxy, and there's billions of galaxies, 310 miles Hi. with every piece of paper being 93 million miles. That's, that's a stack of paper if we laid it on its side all the way out through Kalkaska, out to Grayling, take a right on 75 north, you're going to go down through Flint, hold your nose, you're going to go down through Detroit, you're going to go down to Toledo, and another 20 miles past Toledo is where that stack of papers ends with each piece of paper representing 93 million miles. That's just unimaginable. And if you want to figure out if this is kind of freaking out some of you math people, how big is that? How long is that? Well, you just take... 310 million miles. Each stack of paper is about 10.4 million individual sheets of paper. So 
310 miles, 10.4 million individual sheets of paper by 93 million miles. That's our Milky Way galaxy. It's insane. I want you to do something right now. Do you have a piece of paper near you? I want you to look at that edge. And I want you to find our globe. And then I want you to find the United States of America. And I want you to find the state of Michigan. It's really easy. It's shaped, shaped like a mitten. And then I want you to find Traverse City. And then I want you to find you. Are you getting a feeling right now? Louis Giglio is a tremendous speaker on things like that. And he said people go up to him and they say, Louis, you're trying to make me feel small. And Louis says, no, I'm helping you realize you are small. We are. We are small. God is huge. And here's what Isaiah writes about this. This is not a mansion that God lives in. You see what he calls it? He stretches out the heavens like a canopy, like an umbrella. And then he mentions, he spreads them out like a tent. And if you do much camping, you realize a tent isn't some massive thing. You're kind of in tight quarters here. And for God, when we look at everything that is, when we understand the expanse that surrounds us, this is not a mansion for God. This is just a whoop. A little tight place for him to be. And so when scientists say the, earth, the, the universe is so huge, it can't just be for us exactly. It's for God. And he inhabits it like it's a tent. Nothing huge, just a little spot to climb into. I mentioned this a number of years ago. Um, what it reminds me of is a little kitten that was dropped off at our home by a farmer. We believe that's what it was. My kids end up finding it out in the tall grass and was just kind of mewing. This thing was a little squirt, just, just a number of weeks old. And I can't look at my one daughter right now because she just loved this little thing. And we got it, they, oh, it's so cute, it's so cute. And then you know what question's next. Dad, please, please. So we took a vote, and it was six to one. So we kept, we ended up keeping this thing. Well, you know, this little thing came in, oh, and it loved us, and it was so helpless and defenseless, and we, we cared for it, we took care of it, and everything like that. And then, it wasn't too much longer. You know what cats do? It didn't give a rip about us. It could ignore you. It would taunt the dog. It was like this thing owned the place, and, and even when you called it, it didn't care. And then I got thinking, it's kind of like man. We didn't exist until God made us. And then in no time, we strut around the globe like we own the place, demanding what we want, making our own rules, taunting God, or ignoring him altogether like he's not even around. And man has just quickly forgotten how small we are and how big God is. 
So I want to give you three lessons that the writer gives us. Man, are these good. Now that we have an idea, God is great, we are small. Three lessons from God's bigness. And look at verse 10. Whew. This is great. So wedded into this passage, in understanding how great God is, here's, here's what the writer says. He says, see, the sovereign Lord comes with power. He rules with a mighty arm. He says, see, his reward is with him. And his recompense accompanies him. And so here's the first lesson from God's bigness is, number one, trust him. Friend, if I could scream it from the rooftops, trust him. He's bigger than what you're going through. He's big enough to handle any problem. And I know we look in our world and we say, man, what is going on in our world? And God's bigger than it. We see the advancement of moral decay in society or the enemies of God. And, and we just we think, will this ever end? Can God ever get a handle on this? And does it really pay to follow God? Does it really pay off to follow God? And here's what the writer says. He says he comes with power. Like, don't worry about him being strong enough on this. And then he mentions these things. His reward comes with him. God's reward comes along. And here's the reality. When you feel you aren't recognized, God rewards. When you feel you aren't getting what you deserve, God rewards. And then he mentions his recompense. And you might be wondering, what is recompense? Recompense is making amends for wrong suffered compensation or reward given for loss or harm suffered or effort made if you've taken a hit for the cause of jesus people if you take a hit for jesus god pays you back god in other words there's coming a time when he steps onto the scene he is a reward for people that follow him and if you've taken a loss in the meantime if you've given it, if you've worked, if you've put it out there and been shortchanged, God will pay you back. That's how big he is. And God can pay back better than anyone else can. Your situation has not grown too big for God. He rewards and he gives recompense. Here's number two. You can trust him. Here's number two. You can depend on him. Oh my. Look at verse 11. Understanding how big God is, look at this. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arm and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. I just gave you the picture. Boom. God is so strong. He's so powerful. And then here's the other side. He's so tender. He's a shepherd. He picks up lambs. And he cares for him. Psalm 23, 1. Have you heard Psalm 23? Would you say the first verse with me? The Lord is my I shall. Yeah, he's my shepherd. He's big. He's, wow. But he's tender. And he cares and he loves. And he reaches down for those that are hurting. The same 
arm that crushes his enemy reach down and grabs us. He lifts us safely. He covers us. He cares for us. He comforts us. And some of you are in that spot right now. With what you have experienced in life, some of you need that tender, loving shepherd to come alongside of you and care like no one else can. And he does it. He's loving. He's faithful. And he cares about whatever you're facing. That's God. You can trust him. He will take care of you. He will pay you back for wrong suffering. You can depend on him. He's big enough to scoop you up in his arms. And then here's the third thing that we need to remember, a lesson from God's bigness. Number three, follow him. Follow him. He's big enough to not need our advice. Big enough to not need our advice. Look at verses 13 and 14. It says, Who can fathom the Spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Now that's a rhetorical question. No one! Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? And it's all rhetorical. Nobody! And you know, here we are on our little sheet of paper thinking we're something else, and many people would love to serve the Lord in an advisory role. You know what, God, you are screwing things up here. Let me just share with you my advice for taking care of everything. And so insert whatever it is. And so the text comes out and says, you know what? Um, The idea isn't that God follows us. The idea is we follow God. He's the one that doesn't need our advice. We need his. He's the one that runs this show, and we need to come in line. And so it actually goes along with the Lord's Prayer. Now, I'm not sure if you know the Lord's Prayer or portion of it, the very beginning. If you know it, would you say it with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy... On... Yeah, so it's... Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come, not my kingdom come. Thy will be done, not my will be done. And so Isaiah just does a massive one-two punch here and he says, you know what, God's so big, no offense, he doesn't need our advice. And for people that find that God thinks exactly the same way that they do, need to realize their God is them. For those that think that God makes all the same decisions that they would, their God is them. God says, I don't need anyone's counsel. I don't need anyone's advice. I'm just fine the way I am. And instead of me following you, you need to follow me. And that is in so many in every way of life. That's in like our finding out how we know for sure we have a relationship with God and are going to heaven. Some people say, I know, I know the way there. If I'm good, if I go to church, if I do nice things to other people, I'm going to heaven. And, and God says, no. There's one way. And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. There's only one way, and we don't make up our own rules and our own way. It's only God's way. 
Jesus bore God's punishment on himself for our sin. There's only one way. Some people think, I know, I know better. I'm going to chart my own course. I'm going to do my own thing. And so the goal of life is not working at getting God to know our will, however, but rather getting us to know His. And so sorry to let anyone down today. But I'm going to end with the same exact message that I started five years ago. It's not about us. Never has been about us. And on the other side of things, it's all about someone and something so much bigger than us. Our ultimate purpose is greater than what we've ever imagined it could be when we are locked into His will and His desires. So where are you at, friend? You feel overwhelmed in life? You feel like maybe God doesn't know what's going on? Do you feel like maybe you've been putting out and it hasn't been coming back to you? Well, I have great news. God's bigger than your problem. He's bigger than what you've been going through. He's bigger than what you feel and experience right now. You can trust him, friend. You can trust him. He'll take care of you. If you've been wronged, he'll take care of it. You can depend on him. He's big enough to scoop you up in his arms. You can follow him. His way is always right. Even though you may think a better way is, is what you should do, there is no better way than God's way. You with me on this? Yeah, would you stand with me? We need to think about this in our head, in our heart. Would you in quiet just close your eyes and even with God? Our heart betrays the size of our God when we worry. Our heart betrays the size of our God when we fret, when we panic, when we think nothing's in control. And some of us, including myself in the room, we've got some confession to do to God right now. God, I believe you are in control. I can trust you. I can depend on you. I can follow you. Especially if you're wondering about your eternal state, there is only one to trust, and that's Jesus Christ. We all have a prayer this morning. And whatever your prayer is right now to God, I want you to lift it up. I just want you to give it to him. Say, my heart is yours, God. Take it all. All to you I surrender. All to you I freely give. Would you talk to God right now in your heart and in the silence? Express your desire to follow that he's bigger than anything that's going on. Would you say that even right now and give that to him? God, you hear our hearts. You know our needs. In a world that is chaotic, we need someone outside of it that's in control. 
And together, as a church family, we unified say, that's you. That is you. We trust you, God. We depend on you. We follow you. And we commit everything into your hands. Now, God, in the name of Jesus, the name above all names, by the Spirit that you put within us, I pray your blessing on these people, my friends. I pray for your guidance, your comfort, your care, your leadership in their lives. There's no greater shepherd than you. Thank you for letting me be a shepherd here for five years. Amen.